Friends, Norma Q from California had this to say about the angel membership. Julie gives so much valuable information in helping you along your spiritual journey. You genuinely feel her passion, dedication, and commitment to you. What you gain in spiritual growth and understanding gives you a sense of peace, wholeness, and balance. Thank you so much, Norma. Love having you as a member in the Angel Membership. Beautiful soul, have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go to my website homepage, theangelmedium.com, and sign up for my weekly angel message email. As a gift for signing up, I'm giving you access to free resources, including 31 healing meditations that, if you do daily, are going to help you hear your angels and your own intuition more clearly. Start using these today and you'll see changes in 31 days. Now, take a deep breath. Feel the presence of your angels as they fill you with love, joy, peace, bliss, and ease. And remember, your angels say the messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. And today we're here with Karen Newell. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you. This is going to be a fun conversation. Yes. So you are the co-author of uh, Living in a Mindful Universe with Dr. Eben Alexander. And it's really all about consciousness and coming back to consciousness, um, near-death experiences, what we've learned from near-death experiences, and um, how it's shaping our view of consciousness. So I'd love to have you kind of start off by giving us your background a little bit, telling us what it is that you exactly do, and, and then let's dive into some more of consciousness and the healing that has come from near-death experiences. Sure. Well, it was, uh, you know, it, it was just kind of a, a drive inside of me ever since I was a child to really understand, like many of us, why are we here and what is our purpose? And I wasn't really finding those answers fair, very satisfactorily through religion, through science, through whatever traditional education I was getting. And uh, so as I got older, I started exploring, you know, what else is out there? And I started reading lots and lots of uh you could say alternative spiritual texts to the kind of the traditional Western way of looking at things. And so I exposed myself to all kinds of Eastern esoterica and also Western esoterica. And interestingly, they all say something similar. And that is that we each have a soul. And this was very obvious to me as a child that it just seemed like that's how things would work. Just my logical mind. But it was the adults that were saying, some of them, you don't have a soul. Or if you do have a soul, it works like this. And I wanted to find out for myself. So eventually I learned that cultivating firsthand experience would be the most beneficial way to really understand consciousness or soul or spirit. And uh, so that's what I did. I had a 
kind of traditional job out in the world doing uh, working in the media, doing desktop publishing and things like that and uh, web development. And yet on the side, I started taking courses and these courses taught me all kinds of things, but they all had something in common, which, which is that very often these kind of spiritual classes, they would ask you to meditate. And that was something I had not learned to do in my Western education. And yet it kept coming up over and over again. And when I would try to meditate, I thought I couldn't do it. I would just continue to have these racing thoughts going through my mind. And I thought, this is silly. You know, this is, how is this going to help me? And yet more and more research was coming out about the benefits of meditation, even from a medical standpoint, better immunity, better relaxation, lower stress. And so I kept trying. And eventually I found that a particular type of sound really helped to enhance enhance my experience. And that was sounds like crystal bowls or brass bowls, tuning forks or gongs. Those sounds, they all kind of make this wah, 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 this very steady sound that kind of captures your attention. And it's when I discovered the particular form of digital frequencies known as binaural beats that things really started to change. And these types of recordings really helped me to quiet the mind, to put those distracting thoughts aside. And little did I know that I was starting out on an adventure that I hadn't really planned on because I then started uh, feeling very emotional when I would listen to these recordings or, or meditate. And uh, the emotions were coming out of nowhere, it seemed. And it, over time, I learned that I was really just... Uh, triggering emotions that I had suppressed that I had not properly processed in the past. And that's when my spiritual growth really started to kick into high gear. It wasn't just quieting the mind. It was actually learning to release and then manage my emotional state. And the more I kind of paid attention to my inner world, my outer world just started to change in all kinds of ways and ways I may not have been able to achieve through just my thinking mind, but allowing myself to kind of come into more of who I truly am, who we truly all are, which is we are fundamentally souls or consciousness as you started out our conversation. And so that's where I came to start working with Dr. Alexander. We met in a setting where we were both exploring sound as a way to get into these expanded states of awareness. And that's when he discovered that I and a friend of mine, Kevin Cossey, had been creating our own sounds for about a year up to the time I met Eben. And so we invited him to listen to these sounds and he was blown away and he thought, wow, these need to be made available to other people. You guys need to make these available, turn it into a company. And so that's what we did. We co-founded Sacred Acoustics, Kevin and I, and then Eben invited me to help teach others how to use these recordings to get into their own expanded states and learn more about who they truly are. And so that's where it brings us to today. That's amazing. So what have you found like research wise versus like being in person, like at a gong bath or um, like hearing the sounds live versus hearing the sounds recorded? Are they equal of experience or getting you into a higher vibration, meditative state, or is one better than the other? 
Well, there's certainly value to both. And so I would not say one was better than the other. Certainly when you're listening to live instruments like gongs, there's nothing like being there live to feel those vibrations. There's so many overtones and harmonics that it's very challenging for a recording to really pick it up. And to feel that delivery from those instruments into your body can be quite amazing. But listening to these digital frequencies is most effective when you are listening using headphones. And it's not to say we haven't played them over speakers at events for people to have other types of experiences, but both ways are valid. And so when you're at home by yourself and that, that group experience that you might be able to uh, have at a live setting isn't available, but when you put those headphones on and you imagine yourself connected with all souls on earth, we're all connected through this one mind or one heart, like I like to say, and we can feel each other's vibrations. And so that's something that we can learn how to do and sort of cultivate when we're listening on our own. But when we're on our own, if say your emotions are triggered or something like that, you can feel very safe that whatever expression you need to uh, let go of can take place in that alone setting, whereas maybe it's less comfortable in a group. Now, it could, you could also have a release in a group. So you can see there's kind of benefits and value to both. Yeah. I don't know if we could talk about this afterwards, but I want to keep this in the podcast too. Um, we have what we call an angel membership with a few hundred um, folks in there. And next year we're bringing in guest speakers to try different things. Um, we're going to do one month on actually like acoustics and, and sound healing. Would you be willing to come into the membership and talk um, sure. as a guest speaker? Yeah, and we can do a demonstration. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. We have worked out ways, um, especially because of the pandemic, of course, we have worked out ways to deliver these frequencies online to people in their homes. So yes, absolutely. Oh, that would be fantastic. So I want to dive into, in the book, you all talk about near-death experiences and that a healing can really occur through that near-death experience. And I have not had a near-death experience myself, but when my dad passed away about eight months later, I had this visitation dream um, that I talked about in the podcast with Evan, where I was on the other side. I was at my home on the other side. I was in a physical body. It felt like I had just arrived back home and there was this big party with all of my family and friends. And I kept seeing my dad out of the corner of my eye. And after a couple hours, he came over and he said, well, we should chat, shouldn't we? And the scenery changed. We went outside to a lake house that I grew up going to. And I got to pour my heart out to my dad and just tell him all of the frustrations that I had had with him over the years because I couldn't express that when he was alive. And I woke up from this dream in tears because at the end of it, he he let me talk for hours on end and he cried with me at the end and he said, Julie, if I could take it all back, I would, um, but I can't. And there were a couple more messages there, but I woke up 
in tears, just feeling this intense emotion. I didn't have this realization over there, but I immediately, as I woke into my physical reality, had this deep knowingness that I had held a very strong moral bounds with my father. He had always been cheating on my mother. I'd catch him. Nobody else knew it. It was a really hard position to be in as a kid. Um, we tried to reconnect in my 20s and, you know, he'd be introducing you to his girlfriend one day and then he's on the phone, you know, at night talking to his other girlfriend. And I'm like, Dad, I, I can't do this. Like, I can't sit here and lie for you. So I woke up, though, realizing that my dad was this person who desperately needed love and did not feel love in a very profound way where it was almost like a survival thing for him. He needed to feel love and I could not accept him in this lifetime for who he was and for his faults and see his humanity. And not that he wasn't at fault too, but I realized and accepted and embraced for the very first time my role in our challenging relationship and felt through that surrender and acceptance this very, very profound sense of our relationship was healed, like it had come full circle and now we could be closer than ever before. When you talk about near-death experiences, people coming back from the other side and having this healing, talk about is that emotional healing? Is that mental healing? Is that physical healing? What does that look like? It, it looks like all of the above. And you actually described what can take place for someone during a near-death experience. Uh, it's very similar when you connect with someone that you maybe have had difficulties with and you start to resolve some of it. What usually happens is people see situations from a broader perspective. They have a different understanding. So in your case, you saw your father's weakness and he had his own issues to work out. And I would, I would gather that that challenge made you who you are today, whatever it is. Uh, that's who you are. And so you have to, on one level, be grateful for who he was and how wonderful you were able to have that healing experience. Um, that can happen in mediumship readings too, where people connect with a departed loved one and resolve some of those issues that seemingly seem unresolvable. But in near-death experiences, people come back with physical, mental, emotional, all of that sort of healing. Now, it doesn't always happen all at once. Sometimes it does. Uh, sometimes it can be rather miraculous the way a physical body heals. But what's so interesting is those mental and emotional issues are sometimes even more profoundly transformed. And that's precisely what attracted psychiatrists in the first place to near-death experiences. Because as doctors, they were usually the ones people would end up reporting these unusual experiences to. And what they found is that they were very different from, say, psychotic episodes where people hear voices or, or things like that or have hallucinations. These were actually incredibly meaningful. They were transformational. The people came back like you in, in these amazing healing moments. They just didn't understand. And psychiatrists were amazed, especially... Dr. Bruce Grayson, who ended up developing what he calls the Grayson scale. And that's where he actually 
found 16 features of near-death experiences that when people experienced those particular features, they could determine, you know, the authenticity of their near-death experience. But some of those features can also be had in any manner of spiritually transformative experiences. One is a sense of going to which you certainly did in your dream. Uh, a lot of dreams uh, can be the setting for after-death communication, as they're called. And so there's a lot of potential for us to kind of stay in touch with our departed loved ones on some level. But also when we just touch some aspect of that spiritual realm, when we feel that love, when we gain a broader perspective, when we understand that we're not our emotions, that we can actually manage our emotions, all of those things can take place in near-death experience, in spiritually transformative experiences, and those are the things that end up causing or being related to healing. So we actually can uh, heal ourselves in many, many ways. Now, we do recommend a combination of, of Western, you know, modern medical techniques and using your own ability to tap into that spiritual essence of who you truly are. It's so interesting that Kelly Turner, she studied uh, all kinds of cancer remission cases, cases where cancer just disappeared for some seemingly unknown reason. And she identified nine factors that seemed to be a pattern in all of these different healings. Six of them were spiritual. Six of them were related to getting in touch with your own intuition, uh, feeling a connection to a greater sense of community or something greater. And uh, these factors helped people heal. And so the near-death experience can bring that in a spontaneous fashion, but that doesn't stop any of us from cultivating some of those same features so that we can experience those healings ourselves. That's incredible. I love that. Friends, want a five-day free trial of the Angel Membership? Go to angelwellnesscenter.com backslash free trial to start your free trial today. You're not going to want to miss out on 2023 in the Angel Membership. We're adding intuitive development circles, expert guest faculty teachers, 40 new pre-recorded energy healing sessions guiding you to hear your own angel messages and content exclusively for kids. A whole year of new angel membership content starts January 1st, 2023. The angels call it a year of ease and healing the whole you, mind, body, and spirit. With topics like somatic healing and embodiment work, we're focused on spiritually healing the whole being through a journey of personal transformation. Plus, you'll get access to live events and past content. Sign up for your five-day free trial now. One more surprise, we launched the Intuitive Kids podcast early. You can now listen everywhere podcasts are found. To celebrate, we're giving away dozens of prizes in a drawing for people who leave a five-star positive review. So don't forget, leave a review of the Intuitive Kids podcast and separately sign up for your five-day free trial of the Angel Membership. We know you're going to love it. Details are in the show notes. I 
want to kind of dive into another question that I have. So as my dad passed and I started to work with the other side more and then I got into an energy healing training program and found that whenever I'm working on someone energetically, there's angels there, there's loved ones on the other side and that I have to bring through these messages. And so I've worked with the angels over the last six, seven years. And as I have, it's become really clear that there are some truths to the other side. There's some truths to how this plane of existence works. And one of the things that I keep saying over and over again is that there's really three layers of consciousness. And I think that you could break these three layers up into multiple <laughs> layers themselves, but let's just kind of stick with the three major ones. There's the layer of oneness, all that is. It's where our essence comes from. I believe that our soul is a droplet in the ocean that is God. And in this place of all that is, I used to be scared of it. I used to say, God, I never want to go back to that place. Like, I don't want to not be with my husband, not be with my child, not be with my, you know, parents and siblings. And my angel stepped in one day and they said, Julie, you don't understand. That place is not a lack of anything. It's an existence where you're with everything you're experiencing all at once and you're never alone. Um, so that's like the first layer. The second layer is the middle part between us here on earth and that place, which we call heaven or the other side. I, in all of my sessions, there's similarities, there's commonalities, and I always see that there is a physical element to heaven the other side, that we do have physical bodies. Might be a bit different from here. There isn't any pain. There isn't any illness or something that could go wrong. It's a complete enjoyment of nature, one another, and we can spend eons in this space. And then you have your physical incarnations, could be on earth, could be different places. But is that how you see it as well? These yeah, three layers? A, yeah, the three, it's three is such a great number. And it's, it's, a, it's a great way to sort of make the differentiation. You kind of, as you were talking, reminded me of how that Disney movie Soul uh, yes. had the three areas. They had kind of the heavenly afterlife, which I would call the all that is. And then they had the physical world. And in between, they had what they called the zone. <laughs> and that's where people could meditate. And when they meditated, they could actually connect with people who were on the other side. So I think that's a, a, a very uh, simple way of kind of differentiating those three areas. You could also say there's a physical realm Mm -hmm. There's a spiritual realm, and then there's this mental emotional realm, right? So all three, all those ways of describing those three realms are very similar. So I think that's, I love how too you called it truths on the other side. When I was in and still am in my searching for these big answers, those universal truths are what really spoke to me. And there's not that many of them, but once you can find that commonality, for example, the golden rule, you will find in all spiritual traditions. You'll also find it in the secular world, just in business dealings, that idea that we treat others as we would like to be treated, or we love others as we would like to be loved. This is a universal truth. Eben would even say that that's woven into the fabric 
of the universe simply because of how the life review works. When people uh, get to the end of their life and they enter into this review of the lifetime that they've just finished, they start to notice all the different events that have happened, not only from their perspective, but the perspective of the other people who were involved in that situation. Then we can feel the hurt that we've caused others. It truly is the hurt we cause others only hurts ourselves. That golden rule truly is woven into the fabric of the universe. So uh, universal truths are so, so important because as as man, as woman, we put words to things. We put our viewpoints on things and we start to lose kind of that ultimate truth. I loved how when Evan first came back from his experience, he had an anomaly in that he did not remember who he was here on earth. He had no earthly memories. So all of the writings that he was putting down as his language to return to him was all this sort of pure kind of knowledge and reporting of what he had seen and how interesting after he started telling that story that different religious uh, leaders, whether it was rabbis or imams or uh, priests, whatever they were, they were, they were writing to Evan and saying, you just tapped into the key truths of our religion. And so how interesting that so many religions felt like Evan was telling these key truths. I remember the Eastern traditions also loved what he was saying, especially the Hindu tradition, because when he was in that great all that is, as he called it, the core, he heard this om sound, what he called the sound of all eternity and infinity resonating. And that, of course, is what the Hindus consider to be God, that om. And so I think that finding those universal truths is really key for all of us because that's where we find that's our commonalities. That's what makes us human. That's where we can find how to make this world a better place. Not disagreeing on, you know, man-made problems, but what is that essence that we all came from and to which we'll all return? We are part of that throughout our lifetime. So when we can tap into that, that's when we're really finding out what humanity truly is. That's amazing. So you and Evan have looked at all of these different cases of near-death experiences. And what I find with any therapist that I talk to, any medium that I talk to, is when you're working with large groups of people, you see commonalities, you see common threads. What do you know like you know like you know based on the common threads you've seen on the of the other side? What is heaven like to you based on all your research? Well, it's more, there, there's two aspects there. There's one, my personal experience of it, my kind of relationship. And I would say that I have absolutely touched that all that is. And I can see why it would seem a little frightening at first because it's this void. It's, it seems like this big empty void. And yet, as you say, it's full of everything. It's just how you hold your energy in that space. I touched that space during a life between lives, uh, uh, hypnotic regression. And when I was brought forward to the time that I died, I ended up going to this void, as I called it, for quite a long time until a spirit guide kind of showed up and took me on the rest of my journey in that particular experience. But I've also touched this amazing love, this palpable love that is really accessible to all of us. And I first had to let go of some of those emotional hurts before I could 
go in and really tap into it. And when you tap into it, near-death experiencers come back with this. The research confirms all of this, that near-death experiencers talk about this amazing love. And so many of them, including Eben, will say, oh, you can't bring that back here. And I, like you, have not had a near-death experience, but I have touched that love, that spiritual love, and others have too. And so I know that it's accessible to us here on earth from my direct experience. I can't know it's the same level that they've experienced. I I can't know that because I have not. But when they describe it, it sounds so familiar. This idea that everything is okay, all is well. There's nothing you can do wrong because everything you do is part of learning and growing and and teaching. It can feel wrong here on earth, but in the bigger, bigger picture, we're all just part of this learning and teaching each other very important lessons that usually come down to this love. The most important research that I have found to date has to do with actual death. And amazingly, up in a hospice center in Buffalo, Dr. Christopher Kerr has been studying hospice patients from the patient perspective. Up until this point, we've had clinician perspectives, what people observe that those who are dying are going through. But when they got the reports directly from the people who are dying, we find that they are remarkably similar to near-death experiences. Actual death and near-death have many similar features. In actual death, you start, and as you're getting closer to death, you start revisiting your past uh, life. You start having that life review. These are what Dr. Kerr called end-of-life dreams and visions. And these are reported to be uh, 99% of the people who had them. First of all, 86% of the people had at least one end-of-life dream or vision. So they're quite common. 99% of those people said they were real. They were not hallucinations. They know the difference. They had had dreams their entire lives. These were actual lived events, very similar to what near-death experiencers tell us. They also have departed loved ones come in the hospice center. They show up. They wait for them. Sometimes they interact with them, just like what happens in near-death experiences. There's also this sense of going on a journey. They know they're going somewhere. They don't necessarily know where they're going, but they're going somewhere. And love is all intertwined with every aspect of this. Dr. Christopher Kerr says beautiful things about how, you know, he also says how the transformational events that happen during those hours, days leading up to death are amazing, could never be experienced through medication and other forms of therapy. Exactly what near-death experience uh, researchers, especially psychiatrists, will tell us. So I think we can be quite confident that the research tells us that our awareness will continue when we die. And the good news is we will all find out for ourselves. You don't have to believe this. You will find out for yourself. But if you do want to learn how this works, it certainly uh, affects how we live our lives here and now. When we know that we're a part of this greater journey, when we know that this is not the end this lifetime, but it's an opportunity for learning and growth, that changes how we live our lives here and now. And so knowing that our awareness continues from all the research of near-death experience, from actual death experience, and then from your own personal experience that we all have the ability to cultivate, we can all know these things well before we die. And that information will help us in that trans- probably the most transformative moment of our lives will come 
at that moment of death. And so we can be prepared for it or not. The good news is our body, our the system knows what to do. And so no matter your belief systems in actual death, all of these things will come to pass. Amazing. And I, um, we had that experience within our family too, when my grandpa Ed passed away, he was, sometimes people are a little out of it or there's some medication towards the end, but he was so very crystal clear that he needed his suit. He kept saying, please, somebody bring me my suit. And they kept asking him why. And he kept talking about all the people that were there and he's got to put on his nice shoes and his suit for the party he's going to. And this was, you know, in the days leading up to his passing, but just him talking about all of the people who he was returning to and who were there brought our family so much peace because it was a spiritual experience just for him to be saying these things in that moment and know for certain that that's who he's returning to. Yeah. And isn't it wonderful? So many people when they are with their loved one who's dying, they just think, oh, they're having hallucinations. Oh, isn't that sweet? He thinks his mother is here when in fact, his mother is here. (laughs) And and shared death experiences. That's a whole other body of research. Um, William Peters does a lot of that. At Heaven's Door is a recent book that is really the first of its kind on shared death experiences. But people describe uh, being brought along on the process of someone's death, observing what's going on, but then coming back to this world, still in their bodies, able to tell others what's happened. And very often, there's a party going on. There's a party being planned. And uh, I know in one case, they talked about a an assisted suicide in California, where someone was wanting to speed up the process of life and had found someone to help them with that process. And the person who was or cultivating a shared death experience very consciously with that person described that uh, the journey seemed to take a really long time as if they were showing up a little early before the rest of the partiers were ready for them to show up. And so uh, it's uh, just another validation of the preparation that goes on on the other side before we end up going there. And so sometimes it can surprise them on the other side and most often they're they're quite ready. Interesting. The I want to just kind of put this out there for all of the people who have experienced somebody passing from suicide. The way that I see it is there is no bad place. There is no hell. There is a karmic life review, but oftentimes we're in and out of it like the snap of a finger. I don't see I think they want us here 110%. If you're here in on earth right now, we have deep, deep purpose. All hands are needed on deck. And I think that the more that we anchor into our purpose, the more passion for life, zest for life, spirit we live with in this this lifetime. But I don't see anybody who gets to that mental break or that point in life where they want an earlier out as having any other repercussion than experiencing the hurt that they pay- caused within their karmic life review. Well, the the research on near-death experiences validates everything you've just said, because there have been people who have attempted suicide, failed, and returned to this world, but with the gift of a near-death experience. And it was Dr. Raymond Moody who says, 
pretty much all of the people who he encountered who had had a near-death experience as a result of attempted suicide never tried to do that again because they realized, oh my gosh, that's not the answer. The answer lies here. The answer lies in the problems that we're facing and the anguish that we're feeling. And how do we get through that? And so, yes, I also understand, though, for those who do, uh, my stepfather, he took his own life. And I was very concerned through different uh, reports I had heard of potential uh, not so good experience for him. And so I was very interested in finding him. And uh, I stayed open to that. And one day, a year after he had passed, I was rewarded with a very lifelike dream, kind of like what you described. And uh, he was fine. He did regret some of the things he had done in life, but he was fine. He was continuing to learn and grow. He may have missed out on a, a particular growth potential here, but, you know, he'll get it another way. And so, yeah, I think that all of what you just said about that is is found through research that we have also done. That's interesting. Well, and so another question that I wrote down, and I'm going to ask this in two ways. I see it as the soul cannot be hurt. The soul cannot be harmed. The soul's energy cannot be depleted. But what we call the soul sometimes is what we're really talking about is the spirit. Each of us has an essence. Each of us has kind of a battery life within our body and our energy of how much juice we have to operate in our day to day. And when we go through life not listening to our own inner wisdom but doing the shoulds in life or, or living by society standards there can often be this sense within a person that their spirit is depleted that the spirit can even break in a way and what the angels always say is that it's our responsibility to nurture and care for our own spirit. I want to kind of get your insight into that and then also tie that into you have all of this research. In your opinion, why are we here? It is so hard sometimes. It We do all have purpose. It's hard sometimes, and I get when some of my clients ask me, why in the hell would we sign up for this? Like for sure, for sure. <laughs> you know, I'm going to start there because it's such an excellent question, and we get asked that question all the time and multiple times. We try to give an answer, and people still, they want to hear another way of phrasing <laughs> the same thing, right? Why would we do this? And I think the answer lies in the perspective we have when we're here and the perspective we have when we're not here, when we're looking down, like say you're getting ready to, um, you know, play a, a, a game and you got to put on, you know, that game clue, you know, that we used to play. I think it's still out there where you had to figure out who, uh, who the murderer was or something. And, uh, you, you, had to be a certain character and you had a certain role and kind of expectation of what was going to play out. And you didn't necessarily know at that time how you'll respond in that given moment. And so this is the challenge. Why would we have planned to be blind or to lose a child or all of those horrific kinds of things that can happen? 
Well, the answers people find when they do a little exploring and when they touch the other side through mediums or uh, departed loved ones or what have you, and they find the information, they find out that's exactly why I needed, you know, to do these certain things. I've met uh, people who've had near-death experiences. One man who's in a wheelchair, he's been in a wheelchair for decades. He's now in his 50s or 60s, and he says, I would never, ever have traded my near-death experience and everything that I became for this wheelchair. So we just can't know from the perspective we're in now why certain things. Sometimes when we get past it all, like when you get past a bad marriage or, you know, what have you, or some big, big challenge, you can look back and see, oh, that's what made me who I was. But this is precisely what that life review is all about. That's when you can really gain that larger perspective. Can we gain it now? We can. Can we gain it to the same extent? I don't think so. And so we have to keep that in mind when we want to search for these simple explanations of why we would want to go through, you know, a flood that destroys our home or, or whatever it may be. It could be that that flood cleansed away a life that wasn't necessarily good. And now it's an opportunity to start a new one. Not always does it work out that way. And that's where we can get bogged down in the, but why, why, why would God do this? Why would I choose this? And that's where that larger perspective, I think, is where we have that opportunity to understand. But you brought up this kind of difference between soul and spirit. And it's a, a difference I don't always kind of tap into, but I think it's important. And so I think I would say uh, that spirit is sort of that larger aspect and the soul is more that individual aspect of who we are from that spirit, but we're all connected to it. And so when we say our spirit is diminished or, or something, I think you're right. It's that we just haven't tapped into it. We need to open ourselves to allow that spirit to come through, to allow that essence to be here now in our bodies. And we do that by clearing out limiting beliefs, um, unprocessed emotions, anything that's really in our mental and emotional system that's holding us back from accepting and knowing that we truly are part of this essence. We're made of love. That's a very tricky thing for people to sometimes accept. But I love that phrase, making love, because it really is for me. I know it was, I did the research. I, I think make love was used to mean like flirtation or something like that. But I think when two people come together and make love and a baby results, I think, wow, what a beautiful thing. If two people could bring that love to that moment, infuse that love into that body, into that home for a soul, what difference would that make in that soul's life? So I think we have a long way to go before we really know how to bring that love into this world. But the good news is we can start now. Each and every one of us can come to find that on our own and bring that spirit of who we truly are into our life here and now. That's when your inner world starts to infuse more of that essence and spirit that's when the outer world seems to kind of take care of itself. And so this is borne out just through personal experience. You just need to start to apply some of these concepts in your life and how you move forward and that you'll start to see changes in your own lives. I love it. 
There is um, work by Dr. Julia Mossbridge who studied love and time for her doctorate. And it's interesting because I wrote a book um, last year and the first part is all about like oneness, how to get into a state of oneness, live your life in a state of oneness. And I think we're all like using the same term, like different terms to talk about the same thing. Meditation. Universal, universal truths are like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and what she talked about is scientifically that you have to be able to return to this state of oneness, this highest vibration that is the present moment in order to make this connection with beings on the other side, angels, loved ones, guides. And what I've found in my work over the last seven years with clients is there are some folks who have always been dabbling with spirituality, always been reading some books, playing with some things, may not have had a daily spiritual practice, but have always remained kind of open. And then there are other people who are open, but then kind of have this layering of, I want to say kind of just junk in their auric field of, well, I've got to do this and I have to do this. And they're like, I'm busy and there's so much going on at work. And then I'm dealing with this conflict over here and this challenge over here and trying to keep up with the rat race of life. And there are so many layers there of the shoulds and not as much of the intuition. They've kind of been abandoning the intuition for so many years in order to kind of keep up with society standards. And for some folks, I find that for them to return to oneness, it does take maybe a little bit more time to peel back some of those layers and really get them to the core essence of who they are. How do you help your clients as you do this to not be frustrated with that process, to not judge themselves on the amount of time it takes them to return to themselves, but just to really enjoy the process because it can be so fun of coming right. Back right. To yeah. So what I try to to point out is um, celebrating the small successes. Right. So just if you can, if you're doing a meditative practice, if you can succeed at at a point where then suddenly you see a purple color or something like that, celebrate that success. That's just one step. Every step in the process should be a celebration because it's one step getting you closer. But for people who have trouble with opening up. I certainly did. I had all my guards up. I wasn't about to let, uh, you know, my, my guard down and start to cry, you know, or something like that. And I had thought that I lived a rather non-traumatic life. But I had, as a child, uh, when my parents were getting divorced, decided I didn't need my father. And I rejected him because he didn't want us. He was leaving. Of course, I'm all reconnected with him now. But as a child, I rejected this idea that I needed love from my father. It seemed like a great idea at the time because it protected me from missing him or needing him. But in the end, it kind of, it kind of put me off balance for establishing good, healthy relationships with, with men as I got older. And so I had to really work through all of that. 
And when I first started to try and do this and I would run into these little hurts, it really bothered me. I didn't want to get emotional in these moments. And uh, But when I started to allow that to happen, that's when really things started to change. And it was really the sound that helped me get there. So this the sound really helps, especially a, for, for one thing, it helps people who've had a meditation practice go even deeper. But it also helps people who are pure beginners, who've never done anything like this before, because they're kind of like training wheels. And they, they help you get to a point a little more quickly than you would through, you know, what Tibetan monks have to meditate for 10,000 hours before they become experts. That's a lot of time for a Western mind to put into something like that. And so these tones, these sacred acoustics audio recordings can really help people set a baseline. And one pilot study we did in a busy psychiatric practice in New York City, Dr. Anna Yusum measured levels of anxiety in her patients using the state trade anxiety inventory. And what she found when she prescribed the tones to some patients who listened and others who didn't, those who did not listen to the frequencies, they saw a 7% reduction in anxiety from regular therapy. But those who did add listening to these recordings to their routine saw a 26% reduction in anxiety over the same two-week period. So quite a big difference. And it seems to put a tool into people's hands where they can relax. They can feel less stress. They can get quiet inside. A, a medical student who was in the study found that she could study better. She slept better. You know, so of course those things will help reduce her overall anxiety. So a very powerful tool. And that anxiety is something we sometimes feel when we start to meditate, when we start to go within, when we want to connect with a departed loved one, that alone can bring up some anxiety. So listening to these recordings can really help quiet the mind. And just so all your listeners know, the same recordings used in that pilot study are available on sacredacoustics.com. Look for the whole mind bundle. And these recordings were drastically reduced in price when the COVID pandemic first began several years ago, and they are still at that reduced price. And there's also a free option. So anyone with any financial constraints should not feel left out of this. Go get yourself that whole mind bundle. Listen to those recordings, reduce your anxiety, get better sleep, and you'll accept my gratitude, please, for doing that. Because I know since we're all connected, that as each of us takes the time to quiet the mind, to clear their hurts, to find that essence of who they are, that that helps all of us. That's really the ultimate golden rule is to kind of take that time to pay attention to your inner world because it is affecting the rest of us. Uh, the heart math research tells us that whatever emotion that you're holding in your heart is actually influencing the people around you. And so all of this reminds us that we're all connected. And by taking the time to work on our own hurts, we're not only helping ourselves, we're helping everyone. It's so beautiful. Karen, thank you so much for the blessing of just being here. Tell everybody where they can find you. Um, we're going to put the links to your book in the show notes, but where else can they find you? Well, they can find me at sacredacoustics.com. Many recordings available and also a free series of what I call training videos that kind of explain how to use them. And there's a free download there, a 20-minute 
Alm recording that's available, putting in your email address, and of course that whole mind bundle. Evan and I also have uh, work that we teachings that we do together on a website called innersanctumcenter.com, and there you'll find a webinar series completely free that Evan and I created during the pandemic, where we actually interviewed lots and lots of folks who are our our friends actually who are doctors and researchers in this area of near-death experience so many ways to stay in touch awesome thank you so so much for for being here karen we so appreciate it thank you and thanks for all you do to get this message out to so many people who very likely will be grateful oh thank you beautiful soul thank you so much for joining me today my name's julie you know i'm all about connecting you with messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side if you've been listening today and you're super excited and just have to know which angels are around you right now who's connecting with you and what messages they have for you go to theangelmedium.com register for a session you can do a reading with me or a member of my team we're all incredible we all talk to angels daily and we can help you in making sure that your angels are doing the very best they can to support you and guide you to your best life if this sounds like you virtual sessions they're only offered on my website sign up today and if you're the person who's really excited, you're ready to go all in developing all of your unique spiritual gifts, growing your intuition, starting your own healing business, you can sign up for my Angel Reiki School to become a certified angel messenger. That's for the healers among us who feel called to grow their intuition to the max and serve humanity with their gifts. You'll learn Reiki, mediumship, how to deliver angel messages, and how to get clients. That's the Angel Reiki School at theangelmedium.com or DM me on Instagram at Angel Podcast with any questions. Before you go, connect with your angels by placing your hands on your heart. Take a deep breath. Imagine a doorway filled with God's unconditional love is right in front of you. Step into that love and feel it as it fills your body, chakras, and auric field. Now ask your angels, what would you have me know today? And open yourself to the positive, loving messages they have just for you. <laughs> 